now and forevermore. Amen. All right, so a couple things that I wanted to point out about this passage. First of all, Jesus says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And he immediately, uh, he gives us this concept of stumbling, keeping us from stumbling. But he immediately puts our focus on what God is able to do. It's really important for us to understand that. Uh, the whole idea of holiness, of being in relationship with Jesus, is that Jesus would do something in us that we are not capable of doing on our own. And it's always very important to me that I, that I communicate to you that when I'm preaching to you about what it means to follow Jesus, when I have this great opportunity to stand up here and brag about who Jesus is and how much it'll change everything about your life in a, in a meaningful and and, and, and a spectacular way that changes everything about who you are, that I am describing to you things that you need to be, not things that you have to do. Uh, this passage and all of these, these letters that, that Paul is writing, that Jude is writing, that James is writing, they are talking about an experience of Jesus taking over our lives where we live in him in such a way that he does in us what we are not capable of doing. Our message to followers of Jesus is not uh, fix your life, go out and figure out how to do this or that, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and go get it done. Our message is fall more and more in love with Jesus and let him do something in you that you're not capable of doing on your own. Let him in you live like you can't live, love like you can't love, think like you can't think, feel like you can't feel, be what you can't be through his presence in your life. And that's what Jude is saying in this passage, to him who is able. I'm praying to him who is able, not to you who are able. You're not able, but he is able. Fall into him and his presence. He's the one who will keep you from stumbling. I, I like this passage because it sounds very Wesleyan to me. And I, of course, here I am in a Nazarene church. I'm a Wesleyan theologian. And one of the things that I love about Wesleyan theology is that it's very optimistic theology. Uh, one of the things that John Wesley really emphasized in the beginning of the Methodist movement that, ended with, that ends with uh, the Methodist churches, free Methodists, Pentecostals are even included in there, Anabaptists were connected to that, and here we are, the Nazarenes, we're all connected in this movement that he started. Wesley said, it is possible through the presence of God in your life, the power of Jesus in his Holy Spirit, to live in such a way that we present to the world the perfect love of Jesus. It is possible. He can do it in us. That Jesus came not only to forgive us of our sins, but to set us free from the power of sin over our lives. And we understand that sin will destroy us. Sin is darkness. Sin is evil that comes into our life and seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus has come. He has spoken to that wolf who comes to steal and kill and destroy and said, get out of here. These are my sheep. No one, as we talked about last week, no one can snatch them out of my hand. They are mine and mine alone. And Jesus comes and speaks to us about living into that life together. And Wesley presented this optimistic view that I can live in this place where his hand keeps me from stumbling. And again, Jude has just said, be merciful to those who doubt. Be merciful to those who waver. So we understand this passage. Jude's aware that you can follow after Jesus. You can doubt. You can stumble. You can waver. But we also believe in Jesus and his love 
being there as a steadying hand. Think of a little child learning how to walk and the parent is there holding their hand. They're not going to let that child fall. They're not going to let that child get hurt because their whole attention and focus is on helping this child learn how to walk, learn how to be able to go through this world without falling, without stumbling. How much more so is Jesus into that in my life? He doesn't want me to go through the rest of my life broken and not able to live in a place of wholeness and victory and joy in him. He doesn't want me to live there. He's a strong enough savior to bring me out of that. And that's what Jude says here in this prayer. He says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, believe in the one who is able to keep you on the path and keep you in relationship with him. And, and it's, it's a love that's not forced. It's a love that's not authoritarian where he's saying, do this and, and do that. But where he's alongside of me, steadying me. That's the image here. He's steadying me as I learn to walk, as I learn to take all the gifts that he's given me to live in obedience to him. He's keeping me from falling along the route. Uh, it's a beautiful image that he gives us here. And it's one we have to think about as followers of Jesus. Do I find that being the case in my life? Do I hear the steadying voice of Jesus as I go through my life and I make decisions about who I'm going to be, what I'm going to say to someone, the way that I'm going to behave in my family, in my house, in my work, in the, in the community in which I live? Do I hear the steadying voice of Jesus who is more than able to keep me from stumbling, guiding me on the path that he wants me to go? Jude's saying, that's possible. I can pray for that over these followers of Jesus, and that's what I'm praying for. And we know in this letter, he has spoken about people who've lost track of where they are. They're off the path. They're stumbling. They're into sin. They're into lust. They're into uh, a life that doesn't reflect the obedience to Jesus that we're meant to have. And he says, I'm praying over this whole church that we would all know the, the ableness of Jesus to bring us to people that we're not capable of being on our own. And so then he gives us this idea that, that Jesus is keeping us from stumbling because he wants to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. And this is just a beautiful image here that I tried to give you a little image of, of Zaley, uh, who, who is uh, <laughs> fun to look at. And, and it, is a, it, is a fun, it is a fun time for me as, as she kind of grows into her own personality. And we took her to uh, the, we took them all to Chick-fil-A to play at the play place they have there, and now they're all sick. Weird. But anyway, uh, they, uh, <laughs> they're playing at the play place, and Zaley was so excited that she was able to climb up the steps, and, and uh, Chelsea was on the other side of the window, and so every time that Zaley got the chance, she would stop and show Chelsea how proud she was of where she'd gotten to on the step. And here she is showing Chelsea that pride that she has. And it, it's a great image of what uh, what Jude is talking about here in this passage. He gives us this image of how Jesus is working with us in our lives to prepare us for the end of time. Jude gives us his image of what the end of time looks like for the follower of Jesus here. You might have different ways of thinking about what the end of time looks like. I, uh, I, was, I was at a church and I saw a bunch of uh, chalk paintings of what the end of time looks like, and they were terrifying. Um, Josh knows what I'm talking about. Uh, they, they were terrifying to me. Lots of, lots of fire and red and flame. And it's different than what Jude presents here. I'd say it's a little bit different than what Revelation presents. And Revelation's image of the end of time is beautiful, beautiful image. But, but Jude has a different idea here. And it's that Jesus, that hand who's keeping us from stumbling, that hand who's teaching us how to live whole and full lives that are, are free from the power of sin overtaking our lives and 
and connected to him in the way it's always meant to be from the beginning of time. And he says, Jesus is doing this because someday he wants to present us with pride before his father. Before his father's presence, Jesus wants to present us as what he has made through his love. His love has brought this about. So when I look at this picture of Zaylee, I think of Chelsea and I are celebrating our seventh anniversary today. And Zaylee is part of that love. I'm presenting to you here in this in this slide, in this picture here, this is a picture of what our love has brought about. And there is nothing that can fill me with more pride and more joy than to see my children. And, some, and soon you'll see a picture of me beaming with pride with another baby. And I'll feel the same way about that baby and, and all the, uh, the work that Chelsea had to do to bring that about, just to make sure that's clear, it's 99% her work, uh, that, that, it, that the baby's going to be there. I'm going to be beaming with pride that same way. It's this image that Jude gives us here. And there's a lot into this. There's also this kind of uh, tinge of sacrificial language to it that, that Jude is saying before the presence of God, Jesus brings this sacrifice, this offering of his praise. And it's this one that he's created and brought into being and brought into fullness of life through his love. It's you that he's presenting to God. And so if at any point in Jude, you felt a little bit uh, that things have been hard to hear, just make sure that you know at the end of this letter, Judas, he speaks this prayer of his congregation is saying, understand, you are what Jesus is excited about seeing at the end of all time. How it is that he's poured out his life and his love into you and the specific way that he's created you to reflect uh, the glory of God. That's what's going to happen in you. So you're here for a reason. Your, your life isn't an accident. It's not coincidence that you're in this place in this time of all human history. You're not just a speck on a planet hurtling through the galaxies throughout time and space, but you were designed to be here in this time and place in your body and your mind and your soul and all the things that are special about you were created for a reason. And Jesus wants to display that at the end of time. Look at his dad and say, see what I did. See what I did in Rob, and in Greg, and Kaylee. See what I did in Quincy. See what I did in Zaley. It's This is the life that I've always wanted to exist. This is what I've been excited about. I went to the cross for them. I rose from the grave to them. I poured out my life in them, and they learned to be obedient to me. I, I held their hand as they went along the way, and they stumbled away, but I was always there, and I, and I kept them now, and here I present them. There's not a single fault. No one can find a fault in them. Look at that face. Look at that, that face that's smiling with pride over what it is that I accomplished in their life. Uh, it's, it's right there in front of you. This is what it's all about, and there's rejoicing in heaven over that. Man, what a beautiful image that Jude gives us here. And you know that when he says it, he can see his brother smile over the things that his brother did in his life that he saw him be proud and joyful over. Uh, don't dare believe for a second that you are less valuable than this verse says you are. Jesus wants to present you with pride, um, with the pride of a parent who loves and and sees all the goodness and, and, and the special nature of who you are to present that before his father someday. And then the last part of this passage, he talks about this idea to be only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Jesus is our Savior before all ages, now and forevermore. I love how... Um, I love how the authors of the New Testament sometimes slip into this weird time dimension thing. Paul does it. Jude does it here. 
where they say Jesus has always been our Savior. Before time existed is what Jude says here. Now and in the time period where we forget that time exists, Jesus is and always has been and always will be our Savior. The definition of his nature is to save. The definition of his nature is to heal. The definition of his nature is to restore, is to serve, is to love to the point of death, of ending his very existence because of how much he loves us and wants to bring us into relationship with God. This is the definition of who he is, and it always has been. At his heart, this is what he's all about. This is the core of who he is. I put a little picture here of shepherds rescuing a sheep, and I'm, I'm told that the sheep was okay at the end because it doesn't look okay. And I'm sure sometimes in my life, I haven't looked okay. And the shepherds had to drag me out of a pit or a ravine, or I've been half dead and he's had to revive me, but he's strong enough to do it. He is a savior who can bring that about. And all power, glory, majesty, and authority come through this savior who's demonstrated that love to us in Jesus, who is our Lord, who's gonna bring us to live into that life. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.